You're listening to the Sewing and Grown podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Welcome to the Sewing and Growing podcast. You sounded like Desmond there. You know, you are who you're around. And I was around Desmond at the beginning of this podcast, and I sound a little bit like him. This is episode 10. We've reached double digits on this Sorry, podcast. I burned, I burned my mouth on that coffee. He just got a cup Woo! of coffee, and he took it, and it he hurt. showed a lot of restraint and not letting out a big shout yeah. into the mic. Why'd the hipster burn his tongue on his coffee? Why? He sipped it before it was cool. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Go and we're going to talk about some of those things, restraint and uh, different things, because we're talking about what makes a man mm. today. We're talking about masculinity. Beards. Maybe. We'll discuss yeah, let's it. Let's talk about it. Uh, masculinity <laughs> is a really hot topic in yeah. our society and especially toxic masculinity. The attack on masculinity right. is huge. It's huge. But maybe two guys... In an upper room at a church doing a podcast <laughs> can have a little bit of a conversation yeah. on what masculinity should be, what it is, what we've experienced, mm. and have a good conversation about it. I'm going to share a lot on this podcast. I'm going to kind of forerun this. Mm. Pastor Jonathan's going to add to it. This was I'll on my heart. And uh, a lot of my thoughts come from actually a book, and I want to give credit where credit's due. It's by Mark Batterson. It's called Play the Man. And a lot of the stories that I share from this came from that book. Really recommend it, especially if you like history and you like stories from history. I like both of those. He's amazing at doing that. So I recommend Play the Man by Mark Batterson. And one of the things that he mentions, which I just think is a funny story and a funny letter and actually gets me kind of inspired, comes from an Indian chief back on the <laughs> Atlantic coast from the year 1744. Wow. And this was written to William and Mary College. Whoa, that was a long time ago. It was. 1742, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. No, no. 1492. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's okay. I said Don't I liked history, folks. You, you're free to edit that out. I didn't say out. I know it. Or in vulnerability, leave it in nah, the podcast. That's funny. 1492. Right? I don't want to be wrong. It is 1492. Okay. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Correct. Not 1744. <laughs> 42. <laughs> okay, keep going. Sorry. But why this letter was written to William and Mary College is because the college reached out to the Indian chief and said to him that he would that college would take a group of the young men from that tribe and give them a college education. And this was the chief's response, and I'm going to read it. We know that you highly esteem the kind of learning taught in colleges and that the maintenance of our young men while with you would be very expensive to you. We are convinced thereof that you mean to do us good by your proposal, and we thank you heartily. But you, who are wise, must know that different nations have different conceptions of things, <laughs> and you will therefore not take it amiss if our ideas of this kind of education happen not to be the same with yours. <laughs> we have had some experience of it. Several of our young people were formerly brought up at the College of the Northern Provinces. They were instructed in all your sciences, but when they came back to us, they were bad runners, <laughs> ignorant of every means of living in the woods, <laughs> unable to bear either cold or hunger, knew neither how to build a cabin or take a deer or kill an enemy, <laughs> spoke our language imperfectly, were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, nor counselors. Oof. They were totally good for nothing. <laughs> we are, however, not the less obliged by your kind offer, though we decline accepting it. 
and to show our grateful sense of it, if the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we will take care of their education, instruct them in all we know, and make men of them. Ooh. I got goosebumps at the end of that. <laughs> that was brutal. That was a that savage That chief writing. was brutal. And uh, in this, there are a lot of things that we may say are stereotypical yeah. manly traits. But- Killing an enemy. <laughs> Every man needs to know how to kill an enemy. But I just wasn't that fun though. Yeah, it was, was fun, fun to read. But I wanted to just in lighthearted attitude mention a couple mainly stereotypes that I fail. Ah. And this the first one, I have three. If you have one you want to join, it's oh, just like funny. Against you? Yeah, that or people in my own called life. me out. Yeah. No, you don't need to join in on other <laughs> I'm already providing I'll three. see what I can add. If not, try we'll leave it deep. to my three. The first one is drinking hot tea. And I remember when I was uh, still in high school, it's going to manly. Olive Garden in Grand Junction. First off, Grand Junction may have some manly ideas of what men need to be. <laughs> but I was sitting there and the waitress came up and said, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll have a hot tea. And <laughs> she rolled her eyes at me and said, really? A hot tea? But I like hot tea. Yeah. And for the listener's information... Globally, teas drink way more than coffee. So yeah, because you have India tea. heading that up. And in England, I think. let's go have a cup of tea. Yeah. Cup uh, of it's tea. not just... It's- if you ordered iced tea, she probably wouldn't have rolled yeah. her eyes. The fact that it was hot, I think, was the kicker there. Whatever. Hot tea. I challenge that as something that makes me less of a man. Number two. What car you drive? Mm. When I was just out of high school, I had a bright red Jetta, turbo diesel, black interior. I love that car. Phenomenal in the snow. Phenomenal. With a a pair of winter claws on it. Wow. Amazing. It was only front wheel drive. It was. It wasn't four wheel drive. No, front wheel. Yeah. And I had another front wheel drive car and we used to see who could drive faster in the snow that this is not a great story, but your car always prevailed. Nonetheless, it was a girly car. It was. And I remember being at church before a lot of people showed up and being with an elderly cowboy-like gentleman in the foyer. And we were looking out at the parking lot and said, you see that red car? That's the most girly car I've ever seen. <laughs> and I said, sir, that's my vehicle. That's, that's my vehicle. And then he felt really bad and put his arm around me and said, you know, you're like the closest thing to a son I'll ever have. <laughs> Tried really hard to make me feel good about myself. But that doesn't make me less of a man. And right now I have an F-350, which may seem like a very manly vehicle. But my fiance is talking about trading it in to get a RAV4. And I'm scared because there's yeah. a part in my being that recognizes that a RAV4 is not a manly vehicle, but that doesn't make up a man. Although safe and reliable. Although safe and reliable. You know me. I love Toyota. He's all about Toyota. Yeah. And we could do a whole podcast on, on Toyota, Toyota, <laughs> which I will fight and hopefully doesn't happen. But men drive trucks. My, men drive trucks. Yeah. That's but why that I drive a truck. maybe shouldn't be the case. And last but not least, I love skinny jeans. I love wearing skinny jeans. Same. Cuff me. Get many... Men of wise age that are cowboy-like have challenged me in the church on my skinny jeans. But I beg to differ because yeah. I've seen a lot of cowboys seriously with some tight jeans. The only are, difference yeah. between my tight jeans and their tight jeans are mine are like jeggings and have some elastic yeah. material and mine are comfortable to wear. They're comfortable. They're, literally, they're wearing them Wranglers or those Dickies and they're hugging their thighs. Hugging their They thighs. might be a little more loose at the bottom so they can fit their boots underneath, but those jeans are tight. 
And for some of you who like country music and are of the cowboy persuasion, uh, would remember Dwight Yoakam, who was a country <laughs> hit. He would wear the tightest pants. Wow. So those are stereotypes that I just mm. think of that really don't make us a man or make us not a man. Mm. They're just cultural ideas. But it's important to be a godly man. Yeah. Can we say that? It's important to be a man and it's important to be a godly man and what that really yeah. is. Well, I was going to give you some of my... Um, Oh, you have Vices. Let's um, hear it. Well, I like I enjoy skinny jeans. But just as much as the next he's, guy. He's he's moving away from I'm the moving kind jeans. of a little bit away from it. I think another thing that I love massage. Not giving them. I love receiving massage. I will go and schedule a massage weekly. Some would say maybe that's not Have you been challenged on that? Um no, but I kind of feel like it's not like, Superman. Like maybe it's in the line of a spa day, kind of like you're moving in the spa. Direction. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoy getting a pedicure. That's two of us in this room. That is very girly. I don't get my toes painted. Don't like, come on, don't crucify me here. <laughs> <laughs> no one's trying to do but, that. Uh, okay, good. Um, but I enjoy the the whole calf massage, them cutting my cuticles, massaging my feet. Sign me up any day of the week. I will go for a pedicure. Same. I love Very it. Very girly. And I don't even feel bad in the nail salon. I don't anymore. I used to. Right. And I'm sure some of you are going, what are these guys talking about? Skinny <laughs> jeans and pedicures. Well, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. Now, hopefully that's adding a little tension yeah, to this I conversation. The best type of foot scrub to use when they offer you a selection. Actually, I won't. <laughs> let's <laughs> keep the going. salt scrub is nice. The salt scrub is very uh, nice. The gonna- pumice stone. <laughs> Abrasive, but gets the job done. Yes. Okay. And I was mentioning this. It's important to be a man and a godly man. And one of our presidents who was actually assassinated, uh, there's more than just JFK JFK and um, Abraham Lincoln, James A. Garfield. James A. Garfield was an ordained minister. And this is one of his quotes. He wasn't planning on really being a president, was a uh not a favorite to become a president, but he did. And he made this quote about himself. And I like it. I mean to make myself a man. And if I succeed in that, I shall succeed in everything else. And I believe as men, uh, this conversation is important because we need to boil down and really determine what it is that makes a godly man and go after those things with a passion. And this is important for women that listen to this so that if they have children, they can help cultivate this in their young men. And if mm-hmm. you're a young lady who hasn't found a godly man Take to know notes. what to look for. Yeah, seriously. Amen? Because they're rare these days. Yes, but hopefully through podcasts like this, <laughs> being in an awesome church like New Creation Church Come on. and reading the Bible and having great conversations, we can make more of a culture of healthy masculinity, yeah. not toxic masculinity. Absolutely. So going back to the chief's letter, my stereotypes that I fail... One way to look at, and I think we can do a process of ourselves as males and as a society, looking at resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Now, resume virtues are what you learn in school and your uh, high school counselor helps you develop. And if you're in college and you go to an intro business class and you build a resume, you help build these things. And those are your resume virtues. And society puts a really big uh, emphasis on these things. And this may come into the stereotypes that 
culture defines as masculinity and what you should be. But then we have this thing called eulogy virtues. And that's what they write in the post-independent or your local newspaper about you. That's what they say about at your funeral. Hmm. That's what's on the headstone. And often the eulogy virtues look very different Hmm. than the resume virtues. And with eulogy virtues, there's a couple that come to my mind. Um, The first one being passion. I want to be known as a passionate person. And I think passion is a term that has lost some of its meaning, lost some of its importance. Uh, I want to talk about passion. And if you have some uh, eulogy virtues that come to your mind that you want to be remembered by that can help add to a healthy masculinity, uh, let's add into that. But what we miss in passion a lot is we just think it's uh, bouts of fire and it comes out quick and it comes out strong. And we, there's, there's truth to that, but we also know that passion is related to Christ. Passion, passion of, Christ. of Christ. Great and movie. Great. Movie. I've only watched it once because well it's done. very hard to watch. Very hard to watch. And I think it was wise to not put it in English. Yes. Mel Gibson does a good job of that. Apocalypto. I know you're not a big fan. I don't like Apocalypto. But putting that in the local language and putting um, the Passion of Christ yeah. in Hebrew and Aramaic, whatever very they well did. Very well done. Very well done. Nice touch. And you say the movie was very brutal. It was very hard to watch. But I'll let you go into this point. It was that way for a reason because of what? Christ's passion. And passion is connected to what you are willing to suffer mm. for and suffer in and suffer through. Wow. And what I mentioned is that passion is connected to Christ. And if we're going to have any aspect of our masculinity that's healthy, it should be able to be found in Christ and connected to Christ. And Christ was the most passionate human being we've ever come in contact with and we will ever come in contact with. So here's a way to look at it. Passion is often connected with love, lust, heat, fire, but Passion is not a need-seeking love. It's a need-meeting love. Mm-hmm. And I believe men are passionate about a lot of things. I'm, right. I'm trying to lift. I'm trying to uh, gain muscle and lose uh, body fat and do these things. And there's suffering that goes Absolutely. in. Your body <laughs> suffers if you want to look good and feel good. Absolutely. And then people who become great businessmen and come up with great mm-hmm. inventions, men, they suffer a lot of time. And these things are so ingrained in men. I just see it. Even as a young man who starts to hit puberty and they want to lift and they get on the football team and they just get engrossed in lifting. Or if they're more in the musical nature Mm -hmm. and they become a guitarist and they're like Eddie Van Halen and they're just different people locked in their room and they suffer so much to get good at the guitar. But what makes a godly masculine man different is that they're not willing to suffer for their own gain. They're willing to suffer for the gain of Christ and the gain of their family and Amen. a gain of another. That's good. Yeah. Suffering, you know, we, we throw around the word passion a lot. And you we would probably ask 10 men, are you passionate about their family? And they would all say yes. But um, really that means I am willing to personally suffer for the well-being of my family, which means... I'm putting in the long hours. I might even have to work two jobs. I have to put my own interests below the interests of my family. And that's something you'll learn real quick when you're married. You're about to get married. 
um, at the time that this podcast is released, you might already be married. I will be married. Wow. Um, but you learn real quickly in marriage, and this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but you really realize how selfish you are because you love yourself. And there's a reason, there's a reason why the Bible says, do unto others as you would do to yourself, because you love yourself. You take care of yourself. And then when you get into a marriage relationship, you actually have to start putting that person's needs above your own, and you're going to have to suffer. And if you love that person, I would say I'm passionate about my wife. You would say you're passionate about your wife-to-be. Yes. Right? That means you're going to have to suffer. It means the things that you like, the things that you tend to do for yourself, might have to take a backseat. You're going to have to grind it out to meet the needs of somebody else. Which is why I see it as a eulogy virtue of mm. my life and a part of a healthy masculinity, to be a truly passionate man. Secondly, responsibility. And uh, I heard a quote from this book. I was reviewing this book in preparation for this podcast so we could have a great discussion. And I think that responsibility uh, has to do with how we respond to things. And this is the quote he said, and hopefully it sticks with you. He said this, we have to recognize and we have to say to ourselves, I may not be responsible, but I am response-able. And so often... Uh, We spend so much of our attention as men thinking of what brought us to the point that we are and where we're at now and why we are. And man, that's not my fault. But what we are, are we response able right now in this moment where we're at? Uh, So just remembering, maybe don't devote as much attention, time and resources to why you're at where you're at. Again, give it the right uh, attention. But know that you are completely empowered and empowered to respond right now where you're at. I may not be responsible for some of the things in my life, but I am responsible in this moment right That's now. Good. That's really good. And I again, this is fresh. I'm going. I just got done with premarital counseling, and I did a my save your marriage before it starts. And part of that test is how you to respond to things outside of your control. And I actually tested pretty low in that, which surprised me. But that has to do with your resiliency. And when things are beyond your control, how you control your response in those moments makes a huge difference. Are you able to stay there in that moment and say, you know what, I'm going to respond right now and I am fully empowered to be responsible in this moment. I want to be known as someone who is completely passionate throughout life but controls those passions and is responsible with that passion is indestructive with that mm. passion. That's how those two come together for me. I uh, was thinking about just those things that would really make a man, I guess a eulogy resume. You're talking about passion, responsibility. I think of just really what makes a man a man is ownership. And one of our coworkers, Zane, is really all about this. And there's a book that he's read. Um, I haven't had the pleasure of reading it, but I know of the guy. It's it's called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. He's an ex-Special Forces guy. And he's really all about taking ownership. Regardless of the results, you own the decisions that you make. And I feel like in culture nowadays, and just even in life, I think it's human nature to not accept responsibility and to not take ownership of things. Um, we like to take credit for something if it turns out well, but a real man, a manly man, a godly man is going to take ownership and responsibility regardless of the outcome. Um, 
And that's hard to do. That's going to take some suffering. Your reputation can suffer um, because if something doesn't turn out the way that mm-hmm. you want it to, if something fails and you got to take ownership for it, that means all the blame is on you now as well. And that's hard. That's hard to cope with. Yeah, but I think of ownership, extreme ownership. I am going to own my decisions regardless of the outcomes. Right. And uh, that all that all can start right now, right here, right where we're at. Um, I another author that I heard talking about responsibility and ownership. He mentioned a lot of people say that it takes a really long time to change. Hmm. And he said, I challenge that. Change is instantaneous. What takes the time is to make the decision to change. The moment you change, you are actually changing. Hmm. But bringing yourself to a decision to change is what really it takes the longest time. And what may shorten that distance, I'm, I'm an overthinker, which is often not a manly trait. Oftentimes women have more active minds and they, they go quicker and they think longer and they do those things, but that slows me up. And yeah. if I can limit that and get to a spot of decision and choose and know that I'm response able, it helps me gain traction, gain momentum and move forward in life. And hopefully as I'm moving forward, I'm taking those around me with me and really operating in leadership. Mm. Moving on from those things, how do we do it? What's the action items? Uh, I would say this, going back to the uh, title of the book by Mark Batterson, it's called Play the Man. I'd say get in character. Yep. And where he got that title, Play the Man, comes from a Christian character who's not in the Bible, but was taught by the Apostle John Polycarp. And if you remember some things about history, Polycarp learned from John. And after John died, he lived a long time and He ended up coming under control of the Roman government and he, they came out, he lived outside the city. They went to his farm, they found him. He, uh, they were going to bring him back to Rome to put him on trial. And he, he made the soldiers a meal and he asked for, can I have an hour to pray? Took an hour to pray. And the men, the guards who were going to like were moved and almost wanted to repent just from hearing his prayer. They took him to Caesar they, and as they were bringing him into the arena to be judged, he heard a voice from heaven and it said this, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. That's mm. what God spoke to him. Be strong, play Polycarp, and play the man. And if you know the way that story goes, they call him to recant. He says, how could I recant from a God who served me so well for these 85 years? He's an 85-year-old man, frail up there. And they say, okay, we're not going to kill you by animals. We're going to burn you at the stake. And they were going to tie him. And he Mm. said, hey, you don't have to tie me. God will empower me to stay in the flames as you burn me. They turn on the flames and the flames actually weren't consuming him. They ended up having to stab him to kill him. That's Polycarp. And it's such an example of a man. That's a manly story. Mm. But I like that play the man and getting in character. Men have godly character. And this is a statement I want to make. You aren't a hypocrite if you act out the role that you truly are. Mm. And us as men need to know that who we truly are are godly men. And we aren't being a hypocrite if we practice playing that role. We all need to play that role. And there's a few steps, three steps that I really thought of that help us get in character and play the role. And the first one is get a new script. 
Mm. If I'm going to get into any role, I've got to get the script. script. What's the script? It's the Bible. It's looking at the life of Jesus and getting that script. Mm. Uh, What is the script of your life? Is it the script of your upbringing that was separate from the life of God? Are the examples of your family godly Mm. examples? Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. And even if they are, they aren't a perfect script of who you are to be as a man. We all in our life need to get a new script. The Bible is a perfect script. The Bible is a perfect Jesus script. Jesus wrote the perfect script. He's the perfect example, mm-hmm. and he is the word made flesh. He yeah. is the script. And after we get that script, number two, you got to rehearse the lines. And, you know, we're faith people, and we talk about quoting and confessing the word. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? That's actually rehearsing the lines of who you truly are and getting you in character as a man. Hearing those things, looking at what the Bible describes as a godly man, looking at biblical characters and how they lived their life, and David being a man after God's own heart and the passion that he had to take down a bear and his committedness to God and rehearse those lines. And I, I think men are visionaries. They're called to be mm-hmm. leaders, and every leader is a visionary. Mm-hmm. So what do visionaries do? They have the capacity to imagine. So as you rehearse those lines by yourself, rehearse what that looks like in you, in your family, in your job, and in your community. Think of who you are, the script that you've been given, and what it looks like to play that man. And then last mm-hmm. but not least, you got to act it out in front of people. Yeah. You got to put this into practice and just recognize that who I am is this script and I'm not a hypocrite because right. I'm acting out who I truly am. And God's calling us just like Polycarp, I believe to be strong and play the man. That's good. And I think, you know, we look at this example of what godly men should be and we read in the word and we might honestly think, man, I'm nothing like that, but you play that part long enough. You got to put it on, right? Yep. You put it on and there's a, a, a cliche quote, fake it till you make it. You're not, you're really not faking it. You are playing the part of the man. And when you choose, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you might actually think about yourself, when you, uh, when you choose to assume that role that you know is right and practice it day in and day out and suffer doing it, because you may not feel like you're that person, but you put your flesh under, you put your doubts under, you suffer and you play that part long enough, you act, you're not just playing it anymore. You actually become that person. And I wanted to say that people, yeah. amazing actors, they get invested in yeah. the role that they are. And sometimes they'll move to a different location. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll change what they eat. Uh-huh. They'll they'll change all their experiences. They become that character. They'll get rid of certain influences so they don't get pulled into what they used to be so they can take on the role of the character. In a bad example, think of Heath Ledger. People said That's as he took on the role of the Joker, he yeah. absolutely changed. Yeah. And he would, I, I, I think he would like lock himself in his room and do different <laughs> stuff. But what, when we get invested in the role of playing the man that God's called us to be, it'll change what we eat. It'll change what we, who we stay around, the environment mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in. And we'll get passionate about that role yeah. until it actually, it already is, but in a manifested way, it becomes who we really right. are. That's good. And I think we revert, we got to reverse the narrative a little bit because we are, we talk about the stereotypes and really what makes a man, what doesn't are really these outside trivial things that aren't necessarily going to amount to anything like what you wear, if you have a beard or not, the car um, you drive, the car you drive, whether you express your emotions or if you, you don't you drink hot tea, <laughs> right? 
Um, but really, um, it comes down to these character issues. So I can be a man of God and get pedicures because pedicures isn't what's defining my manhood. It's these character traits and these qualities that I am practicing and endeavoring to really become. That's um, so good. Yeah. One thing, I, I mean, I, you'll have to wrap it up after this, but I think a lot of times, um, so we have we have a stereotype that's swayed um, in drastically in both directions. We have like the typical really manly man stereotype, and then we have the toxic masculinity ter- stereotype that's really trying to go against those natural um, or traditional values of what men are. And both can be toxic at both extremes. You have to come to the middle. And I think that one thing that can actually be toxic to men in their manlyhood and being men of God is people, men who bottle up their emotions. Absolutely. So it's not unmanly to address and work through those emotions. That's a, I was thinking about that this whole podcast because you get people who say, ah, you're too girly, you're too emotional. And there's people who say, bottle it up, don't address it, be a man. Both are detrimental right. to being a true man of God. So, so going back to being passionate, um, that's so connected to having a soft heart mm-hmm. and thick skin. And I think David was a great example. Yes. He was a singer. He played the harp. There's nothing more girly than playing <laughs> the harp. But he took down a bear with his bare right. hands. And so often, if we're going to have a hardened heart, then we can't be that passionate, fiery, right. uh, expressive man. But if we're that expressive man and we have uh, a thin skin, we'll be destroyed and we won't have yeah. longevity. So it's being really responsible for all that we are and not yeah. turning off or blocking any part of who we are and living wholehearted, full, mm. genuine lives for God. Wow. And it comes down to, we have to passionately pursue and be responsible as men to have a soft heart and Thick, thick skin. skin. Yeah. Because that's what a godly man is. And that takes both. It's the emotion and it's the fortitude. It's it's both and it brings us to the middle. Mm. Vulnerable. Vulnerability. Letting God, granting him access to your heart and really being callous to offenses and those types of things. Um, being a godly man. David said so that. Important. Search my heart, oh mm-hmm. Lord. That's good. What's your, uh, what's the wisdom of the day? Um... I like just going back to what passion really is, and that's suffering. And so manly manly men, manly men of God um, are going to suffer not for their own gain, but for the gain of those that they say that they love. The, th- the things that they say that they're passionate about, the people they say that they're passionate about, they will suffer for their gain. That's good. And mine is, I may not be responsible for everything that has happened in the past, but I am response-able. And recognizing that that's connected to a decision and you, man, who is listening to this podcast, you are response-able to make the decision to become more of the godly man that God's called you to be right now. And another quote that I've heard, uh, to to have life is a privilege. To have a, an amazing, great life, that's a decision. So make the decision today. You are response able. Amen. I'll pray it out. Father God, I thank you so much for this podcast. And Father God, as Pastor Jonathan and I, we are men. Father God, thank you for making us manly men. 
and godly men. And Father God, help us play the man, play the role that you've called us to be. And Father God, for the women, for the children, help there be many godly men and men that play the manly role. In Jesus' name, amen. And hopefully, amen and amen. <laughs> amen and amen. Amen. Uh, thank you for joining us. And yeah, we'll be back we'll next time. We'll be back next week on the Sewing and Going podcast.